Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, welcome to Technique. This is the podcast where artists talk about technology and how it is affecting them and their practice. I'm Sam Fry and today we're going to be looking at the gaming industry. So, I play games, but I wouldn't say I'm a serious gamer by any means. But some people are, and actually the gaming industry is a pretty serious one. As I found out when I met some people at EGX Res, a gaming conference in London. So Sumo Digital, who we are, um, we're traditionally known as AAA game developers. Yeah. So we focus on sort of console games, Dead Island 2, we've just announced Crackdown 3, uh, we did Little Big Planet 3 on the PlayStation 3 and 4, um, and a ton of other ones with like Sega and all sorts of Codemasters, um, racing games, things like that. So this is James McGretton. He's a community coordinator at Sumo Digital, who make big games. Big games for other people. But what happens when they try and make their own game? Well, this is what they're doing at EGX Res. They're testing out something brand new. We've always wanted to do our own IP rather than using someone else's. And so last year we uh, started our own game jam initiative, so we got a couple of the guys in the studio together and like brainstormed ideas of how we can pull everyone together for the day and do this game jam. Mm. And with a successful pitch to our directors, we got this game jam rolling because they really they really wanted us to develop new ideas. And it was sort of it was an outlet for creativity for the staff. And so I think in October last year, 2015, we started our first game jam, 24 hours, which then didn't go 24 hours it went over two weeks instead because we just couldn't work out the aesthetics at the time it was the first time we'd done it and so all the guys were brainstorming ideas and um one of our designers seb he was teaching himself on real at the time on real mm. four and he was like i'm gonna enter the game jam I'll, I'll, i've got this idea i'll play with it and he wanted to make like an interactive rope to begin with and this interactive rope turned he could like then control this interactive rope he's like i'm, I'm this is really cool. Um, I'm going to turn this into a snake because Seb's background, he was a biology teacher right. uh, before he came into the game industry and he owned snakes when he was at university. And so he's a, he's a big snake fan. And so then the idea of Snake Pass was sort of born from him just playing around in Unreal, making this snake game and everybody sitting there going, this is really, really cool. Yeah. And our directors got on board and looked and were like, this is the winner of the game jam. This there were so many amazing ideas, don't get me wrong, but this was just like something different, something unique. It had all the elements of a good game with its sort of base. Um, and then after a couple of months, I think back in November, after we announced the winner internally, we were like, right, Seb, next year you're going to get a small team to put this game together and start building this game. Three people, and you're going to have four weeks, do something. And so in this four weeks, Seb tirelessly sort of worked on this game I mean you're talking 4am every single day he was exhausted but he relented yeah he relented and continued and then we went this is fantastic eight weeks you've got eight weeks now you've got six people on your team do something and those eight weeks led up to EGX and so 
that's where Snake Pass was sort of... So you're 12 weeks in? 12 weeks in, wow. more or less, yeah. So three and a half months, more or less, is yeah. how, how much development we've had on this tile. It's really cool. Just 12 weeks. Seems pretty incredible to me. But of course, Sumo Digital aren't the only ones doing game jams. Actually, they're happening all over the place. Whether you're making games for traditional platforms like PC, PlayStation, Xbox, or what if you're making them for virtual reality? So before we go into this next clip, I just want to firstly apologise about the sound quality. It might be best to picture it. I'm sat in an old factory, surrounded by lots of people very excited about playing new games. Some dressed as their favourite characters. There's Pikachus, there's Marios, there's plenty of others. And I've tried to find a small quiet room to do a little interview. But it turns out that that room was just about to be used for a developer talk, so people were slowly filtering their way in. Anyway, I hope you'll put up with it. Here's Jordan from virtual reality gaming company Other Ocean. So the idea for Giant Cop came from a game jam actually, and uh, the studio agreed that we would uh, pursue Giant Cop as a title. We're Other Ocean Interactive, we're in St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, originally we made Giant Cop for the PC and we revealed it at EGX Birmingham last year in September. And then at that meeting, we got a vibe, or at that uh, show, we got a vibe. And uh, when we got back to the office, we said, let's check out what it takes to make a game for VR. So we started putting Giant Cop on there. And once we played it, we all quickly realized that the game was a lot stronger on that platform. Yeah. And uh, we're all real big believers in VR. So yeah, that's kind of how it... It's quite interesting because that I guess that's... A lot of people say about any new technology that you don't really want to... You shouldn't be trying to make something specifically for that technology, but it sounds like this has come from the other side of it where you've, you've, you've come up with a concept already and gone, actually maybe this will enhance it rather than starting that place. Yeah, yeah, well, it's like, uh, it, it sort of worked like that. So basically, uh, we had to delete most of what we had for the PC version. So well, we thought it would be a good concept because how it worked on the PC version, it was kind of like a SimCity uh, black and white type thing, right? You went around the city and you could zoom in and pick up people with your like mouse pointer and stuff like that. And so that part of it translated easily, but everything else didn't. Yeah. So we had to create everything from scratch. Like uh, we spent a lot of time on like the scale of the world and how to interact with the hands and how the hands should work and all of that stuff. Right? It was it's it's brand new technology, so there's no right answer. So we had to figure out all that on our own. And and because it's new technology, I guess it's quite hard to test concepts. So how, how have you gone about the use testing so far? So uh, in that regard, I, it's funny you say that because. Uh, I do community management for Other Ocean, but I also am responsible for UX testing right, for okay. Other Ocean. So, the romantic uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, beyond just collaborating as a studio, which is why like developing for VR is so fun, because every morning basically we get to come together, kind of spitball new ideas, and we can see what each team has been prototyping, what they've been doing, you know, and, uh, and we all kind of just give feedback on that, and then we get the team to agree. And then uh, we actually have a QA department in our studio. And so I pull from them because they don't have any experience on the game, right? They're not Mm. that close to it. So I pull from them and uh, I get them to to test it out. And then 
that feedback combined with like just what the team thinks, we put that together and that's how we kind of make decisions on what goes in and what doesn't. Have there been things that you've had to take out so far? Uh, for sure I can't remember there's there's so many like we take out we put in we take out we put in it's a yeah. learning process right it's like at one minute we think something can't be done and the next we somehow figure it out so there's been a lot of that yeah that was Jordan from Other Ocean the creators of Giant Cop which is a really incredible game the idea is you put on your virtual reality headsets and you're given two controllers each acting as hands in the game itself The game involves you being a giant cop standing over a city called Micro City and you see criminals all below you and you can literally pick them up and throw them into prison. But what's even better is that you can interact with the city too. So if there's a donut shop nearby with a donut over the top of it, you can pick up that giant donut, take a bite out of it and throw it in the sea. I loved it. It's the best virtual reality game I've seen so far. So definitely try it out if you get a chance. So the guys at Iveration have had to do lots of user testing. Clearly that's going to be quite common. If you've got a game, you need to test whether people know how to play it. I spoke to Adam Langridge about this. He's the programmer and designer at Upstream Arcade, who are working on their first ever game, Deadbeat Heroes. So you're a two-man team, essentially. That's right. We're a, we're a little company called Upstream Arcade, and we've got two guys full-time, um, Immy and myself. And, uh, but working on the game, we've also got a couple of part-time people, a writer and an animator as well. Yeah, great. And um, tell me, give me a bit of background. So what, where did the idea for the game come from? What, what oh, are you trying right. to achieve for it? Um, so yeah, so the, the game, uh, briefly, is kind of a... It's a 60s, 70s superhero-themed beat-em-up, so it's a brawler. Um, and the, like, the, the hook is that you get to play superheroes who don't have their own superpowers so they actually have to run around and not get hurt but they do have a a special glove that allows them to be really fast Uh, it's a rocket glove and they also get to steal uh, the superpowers of villains and then use it against them Mm -hmm. so it's uh, a game really about um, dodging bullets stealing powers and also showing off so you get to crack wise as well if you think the Batman TV series from the 60s with, yeah. with the, the bright colours and bang. Exactly, <laughs> the onomatopoeias yeah. all of that stuff uh, that's where we're starting with but we're also trying to subvert that genre a little bit yeah and so I guess what how, how do you get started? So I'm not from the gaming industry. So how do you get started on a game like this? Where do you just start sketching out ideas or oh, right, yeah. so, writing ideas? So this game started um, because we need to find funding for it. We need to also get a pitch together, and the pitch for us. Um, very much was done on paper this time. Although we did prototype um, some of the gameplay as well, and it was really a lot of just chatting about what we thought would be cool, what would be a cool idea for a game. And um, we had like a few angles that we quite liked the idea of. Um, We liked the idea of stealing abilities. We thought that was quite cool. Um, I was very interested in a game which was about someone who didn't have guns having to manoeuvre around and deal with people who did have guns. And that was a, mm. an idea that a friend of mine was really hot on. And I thought there was something really interesting to that. Um, and the third thing that we really liked the idea of was just the... Like, we both grew up with comic books. And um, superheroes was, like, a theme that we thought 
like everyone is very familiar with, but we thought that there's like loads of angles to it that we thought could be a lot more fun. And um, something that we hadn't seen much of was the you know 60s, 70s flamboyant superhero style, and um, we thought that that all of those three things could kind of join together to make something quite interesting and new. For those of you out there who are interested in making games, you're probably wondering, how do you get started? Do you start with a prototype and then expand on it? Well, I asked Adam about this. What we, the, the first thing that I do is we almost went into two separate directions. So Imi, who's the art director, went off and um, really started to try and nail the practicalities of the visual direction. So that would be to do with how would you uh, model something um, how detailed should it be, how should the texturing work, um, what should the lighting be, how complex should everything look. Um, and that was all done with a view of, he is an art team of one, so how much game can he make making it this way? Mm. Which is why we went for a very highly stylized uh, look, which was also quite, uh, quite tight in terms of he was able to make uh, quite a lot of content in a short space of time for it. And what we tried to do was um, leverage, or really try and get shaders and technology to do some of the heavy lifting in terms of the appearance of it as well. So there's um, cell shading, which is a technique of non-photorealistic rendering. And what that is is a way of uh, lighting an object so that it looks like it's in a cartoon, like in a cell. Mm. Um, so we combined that with um, some outline technology to give things a darker outline as if they've been drawing a comic book. And I also um, started investigating a way of using halftone, which is quite an iconic printing method from the 60s and 70s, probably earlier, I'm sure, I'm sure these guys will know. Um, and I try to replicate that in a real-time um, graphical context. So in the game, even though it's 3D, we wanted it to look as though it was a comic book come to life. Yeah. So that was the visual direction. And at the same time, what I was trying to do with the gameplay is to really prove that the movement and the novel gameplay works. And funnily enough, to do that, I don't need any graphics. I actually had... Um, the rooms were boxes uh, yeah. they were lit boxes uh, the characters were boxes that animated by wobbling from side to side to mimic them running uh, if they ran faster they leant forward and you got a bit of a gist of what was happening in the game and a lot of the game code that was built on making it fun to have a box run around inside another box and hit another box off a wall and then hit it again until that second box is dead yeah. and if you can get that feeling good um adding graphics and animations onto it are really almost icing on the cake in terms of gameplay. All of a sudden, something that is fun in quite an abstract sense becomes genuinely interesting and fun once you start giving it all the context of who you are and what you're able to do and what things look like. So that's Deadbeat Heroes. But it was really great talking to Adam because he was able to give me a bit of an insight into how it is to work as a developer in the gaming industry. And actually, what's it like to work for an indie company compared to maybe a AAA mainstream gaming company? Well, it's really interesting. The gaming industry is I mean, changing so rapidly um, because it's very influenced by... It is games in the leading edge of whatever technology is going on at any time. So 15 years ago when I started in the industry, it was the birth, around the birth of powerful and cool consoles that were for adults, so like 
PlayStation and the Xbox and that kind of stuff. And that meant that um, also teams were getting bigger. So I spent a lot of time in what's called AAA development, just large teams, big budgets, um, careful with risk. And in the last five years, five or six years, um, especially with PC gaming, but now console games as well, um, independent development has just taken off. It's completely flourished, which is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic for people that like games because there's now a lot more games of lots more types of games out for them, mm-hmm. which is good. And it's great for people that uh, love games as an industry because finally a lot of the games where um, like you always have every person in the industry has these conversations with like their parents or relatives or whatever and it's always like oh that's for kids isn't it games and you want to say no it's not for children it's a it's an art form it's a medium like books are and movies and stuff like that and and soon they will say oh yeah books movies and games it won't be a question do you play computer games it'll be like well do you watch movies everyone watches movies the question is what movies do you like in the future it should be if we do our job right it won't be do you play computer games and we and it's probably quite true to say that most people now do play games it's a case of what kind of games do you like so and it's gamifying all bits of it's everywhere it's everywhere like facebook has um, completely changed stuff massively uh, in terms of social games and everyone's got an iphone so everyone's got a really powerful gaming machine in their hand uh, which changes stuff completely you don't need to plump up 200 pounds to put something under your television that is only good for playing games. People, everyone's got a games console. Um, so all of these things mean that everyone's a gamer. And the great thing about indie games is, I've gone off on one really, to be honest, but indie games uh, enables the games that I always wanted to be able to show people mm. to take gaming seriously. So, I mean, there's um, a game called That Dragon Cancer, uh, which is, I mean, I'm going to get upset talking about it, but it's actually the story about um, uh, a, par- a parent's journey with their child who's diagnosed with cancer mm. and it was meant to be a game about their recovery but the child dies and it's autobiographical it's, it's about is it autobiographical it's about those real experiences mm. and um, you, you, as soon as you start I mean that's very can't get much more serious than that but there's loads of other games that are playful and interesting and all just fun for all sorts of people. And that's what's fantastic about indie games. Yeah. Um, but also creatively, indie games and them being a viable way of making games is a dream come true for me. Because when I started the industry, it was almost like there had been a surge of new studios making interesting games. And then teams got bigger again. And 15 years later, it's happened for the second time in yeah. my in my potential career so I'm in like this is my chance and our chance to make the games that we've always dreamed of which is why we are now so maybe there's a lesson there if you're into gaming maybe now's the time to start creating them before I go I'd like to thank everyone that's been involved in the interviews this week thank you to James from Sumo Digital Jordan from Other Ocean and Adam from Upstream Arcade you're awesome And finally, if you like this, check out createhub.com. It's a website which covers the intersection of art, creativity, culture and technology. That's create-hub.com. You can also find my email over there, so contact me about any future episodes. Next time on Technique.
But underneath the large corporations, there's a whole raft of smaller creative businesses. How do they survive? Richard Adams explores how small businesses keep up with creative tech. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.